from the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus over to his house for dinner. So Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now a woman, a woman of the city who was a sinner, having heard that Jesus was dining at the Pharisee's house, came and brought with her an alabaster jar of ointment. And she knelt at Jesus' feet, weeping. And she bathed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Then she began kissing his feet and anointing them with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, surely he would know who and what kind of woman it is that is touching him, that she is a sinner. And having discerned his thoughts, Jesus said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, teacher, speak. And Jesus said, there were two creditors. There was a creditor who had two men who owed him debts. One owed him 500 denarii. The other owed him 50. And when neither man could pay the debt, the creditor forgave both man's debts. And Jesus said, which of these men do you think will love the creditor more? And Simon said, I suppose the one for whom the greater debt was forgiven. And Jesus said, you've answered rightly. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not offer me water to wash my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, and you did not offer me a kiss of greeting, but she has not stopped kissing my feet, and you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven her. Therefore, she loves greatly. But the one for whom little is forgiven loves little. Then turning to the woman, Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were seated around the table began thinking to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And then Jesus said to her, Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. The word of God for the people of God. Friends, let's pray together. We thank you for that reminder that we need to set aside anything that gets in the way of our praise of you, God. Help us each one to lay down our defenses and be bathed in your love again this day. For we are here in this space with you, with one another. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, O Lord, would be acceptable to you. And that we would each one feel renewed in our faith because we have been together this day. We ask in your name. Amen. 
Well, you may recall that we started off this new year with a worship series called Open. We were open to one another, open to reason, open to interpretation, open to doubt. And if you happen to be here on that Sunday, January 11th, you might have heard me reflect a bit on my relationship with doubt, uh, particularly while I was in seminary. What I didn't say in that sermon was that doubt was at such a point that it led me to leave seminary and I went to Atlanta, Georgia, where I worked at the Open Door Community, um, which is a ministry that works with homeless and people who are in prison. And they serve breakfast and lunch. They have a free medical clinic. They have a worship service. Um, And several of the homeless folks live in the house with us. Now, My parents weren't real excited about this because as a college student, I was making a whopping $50 a month. (laughs) Yeah, they were real thrilled. But actually, they embraced it as my dad came and spent some time with me there. But what I learned in life skills and basic theological undergirding were priceless. And so today, I want to share with you just a little story of someone, a friend named Ralph. For it was there at the open door that I met Ralph Dukes. Now, in the early 1980s, Ralph could often be found in front of Ray Lee's Blue Lantern Lounge on Ponce de Leon. In fact, that was the closest thing he had to a home. Um, Ray Lee would uh, let him sometimes clean up at night, which was a golden opportunity for Ralph to finish off all of the un finished pitchers of beer. And indeed, he would drink oceans of beer. Uh, It was often said of Ralph. Mildred, Ray's wife, would often fix him a plate of food, and if he was too drunk to come inside, she would take it outside to him. Except for a few rare kindnesses like these, Ralph was lost and alone. His street name, which everyone called him, was Deadeye because he had lost one of his eyes in a bar fight. And he walked with an incredible limp for the same reason, a fight. For a long time, no one knew his real name. Yeah, that's him with the cap on. No one knew his real name. They just called him Deadeye. And that included Deanna, one of the new volunteers at the Open Door, who was a hairdresser. She was fussing on his hair and Ralph was loving it, but all the while she was clipping, she'd call him dead-eyed darling. (laughs) He thought he'd died and gone to heaven. So one day when the four partners, the directors of the open door were away and Mary Himberg, a new resident volunteer, was in charge, well, she did what she thought she should do. So when the directors came home, she said, oh, by the way, I've invited Ralph Dukes to move in and live in our community. You did what? Ralph can't stay sober for 12 hours, much less 24. He'll be gone in a day. Oh, we of little faith. Everyone except for Mary. You see, Ralph was at a crossroad moment in his own life. He had the choice between life and death, literally, between receiving God's grace or trying to continue to do it on his own. Ralph moved into the community and became an important resident from 1983 until his recent death. And you know what? He never took 
another drink. We are all grateful to Mary for seeing what the rest of us could not see. For Mary saw Ralph with the eyes of Christ. She saw before her a human being made in the very image of God who was needing a little grace and a place of welcome. She saw one for whom Christ died. She saw potential and hope, light and mercy. She saw one who was deserving of a second chance. And Ralph, he responded with gratitude and thanksgiving for the forgiving love and mercy that was shown to him. He may not have bathed Christ's feet with his tears in front of all the religious leaders of the day, but he did bathe countless soup pots with clean soapy water and endless loads of laundry so that he could nourish others with Christ's love and grace. Literally thousands of people through the years have known and remember Ralph. Now, if the truth be told, all of the memories aren't happy ones because Ralph could be just a little grumpy sometimes. In fact, Ralph did not like change. He liked his routine. He, even if there was a good reason for the change, and it was, he didn't like it. So, it, it, on Mondays, he worked in the grit line. On Tuesdays, he worked in the clothes closet. On Thursdays, he made sandwiches for the soup kitchen. Every day, he made the coffee before sunrise, and we loved it. Do not get in the way of a man on a mission like that. But he did not like change, and that's not unlike perhaps many of us in here. We don't like change either. As I was thinking about Ralph, I remember how he would serenade us with some of those humorous stories from his past. And I remember Ralph and another friend, I believe they were the ones that taught me how to jump the turnstile at the MARTA in case I didn't have the right amount of change and I had to get home. Not that I ever did it or anything, but just in case Ralph wanted to make sure I knew how to get home. He was a good friend indeed. He was playful when he felt safe with you. And he helped all of us find deep moments of laughter and joy as we ate countless meals together and did the work of this community. Over and over again, he said, you all saved my life. He expressed his gratitude by working hard and he was as loyal as the day is long. And he had courage, courage that came from someplace deep within him for he knew that he was forgiven and he knew his Christ and he knew that there was mercy and second chance and love and it was a free gift. Every day, Ralph said yes to that invitation of new life and he every day picked himself up and started over again. Not easy, but by golly, he did it. As I mentioned, Ralph has recently died and one friend wrote, Ralph taught me to drink coffee with a fork and what it means to get up every day and decide to live again. I thank Ralph for his openness to this invitation to new life. And as I've thought about Ralph, I can't help but think about this woman in our text who also was offered an opportunity for new life and said yes. So let's look at our text from Luke. Jesus has been invited to be the dinner guest at a Pharisee's home, Simon. 
Now, it's not too much of a surprise or should make us suspicious that he's eating with a Pharisee because think about it. Jesus taught in the temple. He was a rabbi himself. He uh, had much in common with the religious leaders of the day. In fact, one commentary said, if Jesus ate with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors and refused to eat with the Pharisees, then he would be guilty of reverse discrimination, reverse prejudice. I thought that was a very good point. So Jesus is in the home of Simon and they respect one another. But we don't realize until later in the text that Simon has neglected to offer to Jesus the very common everyday bits of etiquette and hospitality. And pretty soon though, as the guests are settled there for dinner, they are reclining as Matt demonstrated for us. The dynamics of the room begin to change because this uninvited guest a woman walks in carrying her alabaster jar of ointment and she sees Jesus and she is overwhelmed with emotion. You can feel the tension as the scene is unfolding. How embarrassing for Simon to have her, this woman, enter his home at all, but then to begin to bathe Jesus with her tears and to dry his feet with her hair. Painful it must have been for Simon to recognize that she is given to Jesus the hospitality that he neglected to give. For Simon did not give him any water for cleansing, yet yet this woman gives Jesus the water of her tears. Simon does not give Jesus a kiss of greeting, yet she kisses his road-weary feet. And Simon did not give Jesus any oil for anointing, and yet she bathes his feet in this expensive perfume. And this wasn't just any woman either. Mm -mm. This woman was a known sinner. Just sounds so bad. Like a known sinner. Now we don't know what kind of sin she is guilty of. But everybody in the community seemed to know that she was one of those women. Was she a prostitute? Some think so. Was she a liar? Did she uh, sell things in the market and gave people a, a faulty price? Did she charge too much tax? We don't know. She was a sinner. And because we don't know, that allows me and my thinking just to step away then from thinking about the kind of sin that she has done. But think about how it is in her sinfulness that she is able and willing to serve Jesus. That's something that jumped out at me. You see, it's like this woman recognizes her need for the love and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus offers. Or maybe just when she walks in the room and realizes she is in the presence of Jesus Christ, maybe it's at that moment that she is overcome with emotion and pure unbridled joy, embarrassing those all around her as she begins to wash his dusty feet with her tears. While doing this, it's as if the untold weight of sin upon her is gone. She's free. Free to be extravagant with her love for Christ because she knew herself to be forgiven. I don't know about you, but too often I feel like I am not that free with my love for Christ. Too often I'm overly guarded and cautious, much like Simon. Too often I worry about what other people at the dinner party might be thinking 
And I miss Jesus right in front of me, and I miss lavishing my love upon him. Like Simon, sometimes I choose the path of pride over grace. And wallowing in this text this week, it has made me aware of how often I keep Jesus at arm's length because I fear somehow being embarrassed or really, really being vulnerable. As the story continues, it seems that Jesus knows exactly what is in Simon's heart, just like he knows what's in mine and yours. Jesus knows that Simon is not pleased with this woman's actions and is questioning if indeed Jesus is even a prophet, as some people have said. And if he was a prophet, certainly he would ask this woman to leave because this is uncomfortable and she is not welcome here. That would be the proper thing to do, Jesus. But Jesus responds by telling a story about a creditor who forgave two debts, one big and one small Who was the more grateful? And Simon fell for it. Well, who was the more grateful? Obviously, the one who has had to cancel the greater debt. Ah, you've judged rightly, Simon. And then he reminds Simon that this woman has extended the hospitality that he did not offer. Her sins are forgiven, for she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. You see, Jesus is trying to touch the heart of Simon with his grace. And I love the way he gets to it in chapter, verse 44. Turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? What a strange question. Of course he sees the woman. That's the whole point. But I think that Jesus is asking something much, much deeper here. Simon, do you see this woman? as a child of God. Do you see this woman as one who is made in the very image of God? Do you see this woman's plight and promise or do you only see her mistakes? And do you notice, Simon, that there's not a lot of difference between this woman and you? Both of you are sinners who stand in need of God's grace and mercy, and forgiveness. Friends, Simon's religion seems to be exclusive. You have to be good to get in, and it pushes people like this woman away, while Jesus offers a more inclusive way that says, you're welcome here. The path of pride distorts our desperate and personal need for God's grace and mercy. The path of pride separates us more and more from one another and from Jesus. But the path of grace does not focus on always being right or maintaining our position at the table. Rather, the path of grace assures those who are on the edges, who are wondering who are questioning if there just might be a place for me there in that community, assures them that there is plenty of room at the table and in the family. Finally, after Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That phrase adds such poignancy and heart and emotion if you really stop and think about it because 
Where does somebody go when Jesus Christ tells you to go in peace? If you think about this woman, where she has come from is likely the street. That's where she found community. That's where she felt at home. Frederick Craddock reminds us that she needs a community, a community of forgiven and forgiving sinners. This story screams for a church, but not just any church, a church that says, you are welcome here. I want to end with a story by, uh, about a birthday party. It's one of my favorite birthday party stories. You may have heard it. I don't know. I've, I've heard it several times. And it's a story of a birthday party that did not take place in a fancy hotel ballroom. Rather, it took place in a dingy diner in Honolulu, Hawaii at 3.30 in the morning. You see, Tony Campolo is a minister, a writer, a college professor who flew to Hawaii for a conference. But because it's a five-hour time change, he couldn't sleep. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, he found himself walking the streets and ended up in a diner having a cup of coffee and a donut. And the owner, Harry, was kind of gruff and snarly with him at first, but they were just the two of them there. And then about 3.30, several women came in. They were all prostitutes. And they're all chatting amongst themselves. And he's trying to get out of there. But he began to listen to the story of these two women beside him, one of whom's name was Agnes. Agnes was going to have a birthday the next day. And as she was talking, as he was overhearing, he heard Agnes say she had never had a birthday party. And wouldn't that be great? After the women left, Tony talked to Harry and said, who was that woman? He says, Agnes. Does she come in here a lot? Oh, she's here every night. About this time, Harry's wife comes out of the kitchen and says, oh, Agnes is such a sweet gal. He said, let's have a birthday party tomorrow night for Agnes and surprise her. And Harry got excited and they decided that Harry and his wife would make the cake and Tony would get the streamers and the party hats and everything. Well, by 3 a.m. the next night, the next morning, Um, They had decorated the diner and it's like word had gotten out on the street because every prostitute in Honolulu had arrived by 3.15. So by 3.30, in walks Agnes and her friend. The happy birthday was loud. Agnes, happy birthday. Then Harry came out with a cake and candles. And Agnes looked at it and she just began to cry. She was overcome with emotion. And Harry's like, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And she said, do I have to cut it right now? No. In fact, as she looked at the cake, she said, could I take it home and show my mother? I'll be right back, I promise. I just live really close. Well, of course, Agnes. Everyone was a little stunned and silent. And she left. And as the door closed, Tony said, so what does a preacher do with a room full of prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning but offer a prayer? And he prayed for Agnes. And he prayed for her life to be touched by the loving God. And he prayed for her safety. And he prayed for her mother. And he prayed for all those women in that diner. 
And after it was over, Harry said in a very gruff voice, you didn't tell me you was a preacher. <laughs> and then he said, what church do you go to anyway? And by the grace of God, Tony said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry said, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was a church like that, I would join. Friends, there are thousands of Agnes's and Harry's, Ralph's and Mary's, Simon's and sinners who are looking for a place to belong, a place of welcome. And I think it's our job to seek them out and invite them in. It's easy to do it already, those of us who are inside, but to go to the outside and invite them in and say, you are welcome here. And then I also ask you to think about your own life. When you find yourself to be at that crossroad between pride and grace, standing there wondering which way to go, I hope you will set down your pompous attitude Set down your ego and be willing to fall at the feet of Jesus and wash his feet with your tears. Be willing to offer praise in whatever way you know how to do that. Because Jesus loves you very, very much and welcomes you home. Let's pray. Help us, God, to know that you're talking about us, that you love us. And when we know that love and we know that forgiveness, it is so much easier for us to offer it to one another. Help us to seek out those who are hurting and hungry and longing for community, longing for forgiveness and hope. Help us somehow be used by you to welcome them in. But also remind us that we are broken people who need your grace. And so heal us with your love even now. We pray in your name. Amen.